So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in John chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 19 through, through 28. And what, one of the things I, I want to change uh, that I had shared on Sunday was really change my method to how we begin our time. And, and I'm just going to go right to the text. This is something we're, we're going to start doing every single Sunday because everything I say, everything I talk about is centered around the word and is really an exposition of the word. So we're just going to start by reading it, and then we're going to look at it from there. So John chapter 1, starting in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now in this word, we're really beginning to see and what we're going to see um, is the relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus. And in the first part of verse 19, we find that this is the testimony of John. Now, two things are important for us because first, we need to have a biblical framework of what a testimony is. And then also, second, especially for those who, of us who do not know, we need to know who John is. We need to know who this John is in the text. So looking at a biblical framework of a, of a good witness, often when we hear the term testimony, we, we either think of it in the legal sense or we think of it in the sense that we as Christians use it and how we share our testimony of becoming a, a Christian. And so in, in both of these uses, it's really to give, to give a testimony is to give a written or a spoken statement that gives a, a defense or a case or really an evidence or a proof of something. And so in the way that we see this used in the church, it is the written or the spoken statement that gives a defense or, or a case or even an evidence for how that person became a Christian. But see, the issue is that too often, too often the testimony given by Christians about their salvation really focuses on the wrong person. And so you've probably heard a person's testimony on how they came to Christ. Often in the church, we call this sharing your story. But often in those times of sharing their story, of sharing their testimony, they really are are focused on the wrong person. It's about how they were lost, struggling, stuck. They were sinning, that they then heard about Jesus and and needed to repent. Uh, 
And so then they chose to repent and receive. And then they, being now saved, have new life in Christ, and they, and they, and they, and they. And so do you hear the problem in this testimony? It's that if, if the testimony has more to do with the one testifying than the one they are testifying about, then there's a big problem. And so really what this tells us is that the type of testimony that you tell reveals a lot about the type of witness you are. So the type of testimony you tell reveals a lot about the type of witness you are. And so in our text, we see very clearly from John's life and his ministry, the components of a good testimony. We, we see what to include and what to really exclude, what to avoid. And it shows us the care we must take to not make it about us. It, even when we briefly come into the picture, that in our, in our testimony, we are to bring glory to Jesus and none to ourselves that our great need is really to, to stop focusing on us and talking about us and instead speak all about and focus all on Jesus, where, where our witness and, and our testimony is about him and only him. And, and so John's life is really an example to us of, of how we're to approach the Christian life and, and our call to ministry, whatever that may be for each of us. And so what we learned from John is that he lived his life as a follower of Jesus Christ, focused on introducing others to Jesus Christ. But remember, this is not John the apostle who wrote the gospel letter. We need to remember that this is not John the apostle. This is John the Baptist. And so we, when we read in verse 19 that this is the testimony of John, this is John the apostle speaking about John the Baptist and his testimony. And so what I shared before on Sunday is that you have John A and John B. John A wrote this letter. John B is a key part of this letter. And so as we look further at the text, there is so much that we can learn from the life of John the Baptist. And we're gonna learn not just tonight, but continually, especially Sunday, we're, we're gonna learn more about John as he comes face to face with Jesus. And see, John is one who is in the picture and then suddenly he's not. And really, this is the way he intended it. This is the way that, that, that God intended it that he was a man filled with faith and really a role model to those of us who wish to share our faith with others. But there's little known about John. See, John was the, the son of Zechariah, a temple priest, his mother, Elizabeth, who was cousins with Mary. And John really lived this rugged life. He lived up in the mountains of Judea. And, and in Matthew chapter three, verse four, we learned some things, but not much. We learned just a few things about John, that he wore clothes made out of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His diet was that of locusts and, and wild honey. This is not the kind of guy who's like the best prim and proper. He's just kind of rugged. But John lived a life, his whole life was focused on the kingdom work set before him. And because of this focus, John was no stranger to the people. 
I mean, I, I don't know how he would be. If a guy like that walks by and speaks to you, you're going to take notice of him in some way. And, and so his ministry really grew in popularity. And we see this in Matthew chapter three and verses five and six. It says that people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And so we learn just a little bit from John. We, we also learn later in that chapter that he spoke very boldly to the religious leaders of that day, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In fact, he used a very strong term and he called them a brood of vipers and really warning them not to rely on their Jewish lineage for salvation, but to repent and really to, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so this may even seem bold and harsh for John to use this language, but what we need to take away is that that was profound about John. That was absolutely profound because people of John's day simply did not address leaders or, or, or religious or otherwise in this way and in this manner because they were afraid of punishment. But John's faith made him absolutely fearless in the face of opposition. And so while his ministry was gaining strength, John's message was also gaining popularity. And so in fact, it became so popular, many people just continued to gather as we saw in Matthew chapter three. And really what kind of came out of that, just kind of a wondering and a thought of, is he the Messiah? Is he the one we've been expecting? But really this is not John's intent. That John had a clear vision for what he was called to do. And if you remember of what we saw earlier in the gospel of John, as John the apostle wrote in verses six and seven of chapter one, he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And so he came as a witness to bear witness, to give a testimony about Jesus where he would point people towards repentance and belief in Jesus. And so John's whole life, his whole ministry focus that we're gonna look at completely was focused on Jesus. And so what we're gonna really learn and apply from the rest of our outline together is that our witness is not about us, but about the one we testify about because he alone gets the glory. And so if you're taking notes there, those are those fill in the blanks that our witness is not about us, but about the one we testify about because he alone gets the glory. And so we see in the second half of verse 19, as we read, we, we see a conversation begin that the Jews had sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask John the Baptist, who are you? Now, this is a really big question that, that many are, are searching for answers in and they're really pondering deeply, who are you? And this is an incredibly important question for us. And as we see that the priests and the Levites are asking John because he's really beginning to stir things up. And so they wanna know, who, who are you? And as I shared on Sunday, I absolutely love John's response because what he tells them through his answer is that ultimately he's the not witness. 
Really, if John had another title other than John the Baptist, it would be that he's the not witness. And so in verse 20, it says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now see, in the Greek, this verse is difficult to translate and has an interesting construction. I mean, you can even see that and notice that in the English. And many translations really try to alter this construction farther away from the Greek to make more sense of it. But I really appreciate how the ESV and the NASB really try to honor that uh, original translation. And so John, as he's writing this down, he's writing more accurately as we see in the ESV, as, as John is sharing he, that he confessed and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And so he's saying these things. He's saying, I am not the Christ. And see, John utilizes the strongest possible method in the Greek to show how emphatic John the Baptist was in saying, I'm not him. I am not him. And those familiar with the Greek would have come away really knowing that in John's denial, he, he was saying, listen, I am not the Messiah. And he took away all ambiguity with his answer. I mean, even in the Greek, the word I is stressed by its position. I am not the Christ. And so it's with emphasis that John told the Jewish leaders who he was not. That he did not come to focus attention on himself because he was not the Messiah. His job was to point people to the Messiah. That he knew his witness was not about him, it was about Christ. But this, of course, caused more confusion and probably frustration for the Jewish leaders. So they asked him further in verse 21. They said, what then are you, Elijah? And again, I love John's continued flow of answers in these verses that he's the not witness. He said, I am not. And so they asked him further, are you the prophet? And he says, nope. And so at this point, the Jewish leaders have gotten nowhere at all with learning anything. They've gotten nowhere and they continue to ask John, who are you? But see, the reason they're they're asking these questions and and wanting to know who Jesus is or, or who John is, is because they want to know if John is the one who God promised. See, the the prophets were always preaching repentance. Turn from sin and turn and trust in God. You're you're going toward hell, turn toward God. That you're, you're living in the path of God's wrath, so turn and run to God. And so this was really the point and the message of the prophets. And so when we look at the testimony and the witness and the ministry of John, This is the focus of his work, to preach repentance and to prepare the way. And so they're looking at John and they're saying, could he be who we've been expecting? And so this is why they ask, are you Elijah? Now, as we've seen before in Malachi chapter four, verse five, God made a promise to Israel. And God said, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And so this is what the people were waiting for and what they were hoping for. So when they encountered John, they begin to wonder, 
could this be it? Could this be who we have been waiting for? Now, remember what what God is promising is fulfilled in John the Baptist. This is who God has sent with a purpose to fulfill this promise. But he is not Elijah reincarnate. And so this really confused the people. And so later when we, when we see in the New Testament in Luke chapter one, verse 16 and 17, the angel tells John's father before he's born what his life will be like. He says in verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Of who? Elijah. Malachi chapter four, verse five. And he says, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is John's purpose, why he is sent by God, that his witness isn't about him, but the one who sent him. It's to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord and to turn their hearts towards him. But really what we see is the people missed this, that they were so focused on it being Elijah that they missed John who came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And they kept on missing it. I mean, when they asked, are you the prophet? This was in reference to another promise given by God through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. When God said, the Lord, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And so to the question of this promise, John says, that's not me either. And so continually you have this progression of John saying, no. And again, what I love about this is John is telling those asking him, it's not about me. It's not about me. And see, too often we miss this. We, we live in such a individualized culture that the message of today and, and the message of our world is, it is all about me. And so to read these words from John is sobering. It's an absolutely sobering message that reminds us it's not about you and it's not about me. That's, what's, that's what we learn from John's response to these religious leaders, that our witness is not about us, that the testimony we give should speak of Christ, that our life should proclaim the glory of Christ, not what we do or who we are, but who Christ is. And really, what's really important then is if you know who you are, and whose you are, then you already know it's not about you. And this is so important because the the following questions they ask John are ones that all of us at one point or another have to answer. And so in verse 22, as though they're frustrated and and almost throwing their arms up in the air, they, they ask again, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? These are the questions they're asking John. Who are you and what do you say about yourself? 
See, how you answer these questions clarifies not only what you know, but who you know. And, and really, if you look at these, these questions through the lens of a, of a secular view, then what psychology will really tell you is that there is no plausible answer to this question. In fact, asking this question makes it worse for you in the eyes of psychology. In, in fact, a direct quote from an article on who you are from psychology today said, the more you seek to identify who you are, the more fragile you are likely to feel about yourself. So let, let me just tell you for a moment, as we look through a biblical lens, when you have faith in Jesus, there is no wondering who you are or what you say about yourself. You are fixed on who Jesus says you are. And, and so let me just say in response to this foolishness, of this article and this statement, the, the more you seek to identify who you are in Christ, the more spiritually strong and fixed on your savior you will become. And as that informs who you are, then that is what you will begin to say about yourself. Man, it's not about me. It's never been about me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus who saved me, who called me to himself and is in fact my identity. And so these are important questions for us that are so timeless that are in the text. Who are you and what do you say about yourself? See, look at how John answers these questions that are asked of him as we see in verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now here, John doesn't say, listen, I'm the guy. I'm the guy doing all the baptisms. I'm the guy with the great message. Hey, I'm the one who told those leaders that they were a brood of vipers. I'm the Baptist with all the statistics. He doesn't say any of that. John doesn't focus there. John makes it about the one he is testifying about. And so John points these people, he points them continually to the fact that it is all about Jesus and preparing the way for him. And so really, although they looked for his identity in the Old Testament books of Malachi and, and Deuteronomy, John's response is to take them to another book. In this verse, John is quoting the prophet Isaiah in, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse three, where he says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And see, by quoting this verse, John was telling the religious leaders the, the focus and really the mission of his work. See, in, the, in this passage of Isaiah chapter 40, verse three, Isaiah is declaring that, that before the Messiah, the Messiah would come into the world, he would send his messenger. And the messenger would proclaim to the people, listen, build a road, knock down the hills, dig a tunnel if necessary, fill in the ditches, make the, make the road straight because it's going to be the highway for our king. So build the king's highway. And, and, and really God promised that someday that the king's highway would be built. 
and the king would enter into the midst of his people. And so by quoting this in Isaiah chapter 40, John says, that's who I am. That's who I am. I'm here to tell you to build the highway of the king. And so John is saying, this is my real function to point you to Jesus, to prepare you for Jesus. And so make straight the way of the Lord It is a call to be ready for the coming of Jesus. And so this is the focus of John. This is his whole ministry mindset that he is the voice of the one crying out, repent, turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. Listen, you're headed toward hell. Turn toward Jesus. This is the constant message of John. Listen, you're living on the path of God's wrath. So turn around and run to Jesus. And see, what we learned from John in this is that whether we realize it or not, our best effort at evangelism and witnessing is really when we see ourselves as just a voice. So really what that means is it's our witness, but it's Christ's work. It's our witness, but it's Christ's work. And really, as I I shared with our church on Sunday and I'm sharing with you now, that should be incredibly freeing as well as compelling to how we witness. That, That as we share the gospel with those around us, it's not that we witness so we can save people, but that they might come to know Christ who saves. Do you see that key difference there? But see, again, this, what's, what has to be said is that that doesn't mean you get to run your mouth however you want or speak however you want. It means that you speak the truth of what God has called you to speak, that it is your witness, but it is God's work. And so you trust him completely in it, that you make it all about Christ because your witness is about the one you testify to. It is your witness that points them to Christ. It is his work that saves them when they believe. And so let me tell you truthfully in this, as we look at being a voice in our witness, something that really bothers me and I really shared on Sunday that really feels that it goes against the witness of John and the the witness that we are called to be is when there's a quote that's used really with the idea that it was something that came from St. Francis, but never really came from St. Francis. And that's the quote that we should preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Let me tell you, don't ever believe that when you share the gospel, you should only use words if necessary. that's, That's faulty, that's incomplete. And so let me, let me help you with this. In your life, Always share the gospel, always share the truth. And if necessary, condemn that foolish notion. Because Romans 10, chapter 10, verse 17 tells us clearly, faith comes from hearing. And so there's a part that's important in our witness that we are a voice. That our best efforts at evangelism and witnessing is when we see ourselves as just a voice. Where yes, it's our witness, but it's Christ's work. And so what that means is is what you speak out, what is the display of what you say should never be your actions, but be all about Jesus. That your witness should never be about you. 
that the way you act and the way you serve and the way you display yourself, because really the problem with that is you will never have any framework to point people to Christ's work if it's always about your work. And so this is such an important thing that we learn from the life of John. John's not just sitting off in the corner, speaking out truths from the corner. He's active in his work of ministry, but he says clearly, I am a voice calling out. And so we see how John had a clear vision for what he was called to do. That his life and his ministry was focused, focused completely on being a witness and testifying about who Jesus is. And so really what this means is that as important as John's function is, he's not important. What this means is that as important as John's function is, as we've seen so far in the text, he is not important. And in other words, it it was John's greatest calling to prepare the way for Jesus, but really then to step back and have Jesus get all the glory and all of the flame and all of the fame. But really the, the Jewish leaders were not content with that. They were not okay with that. And so their questions didn't stop once they knew John's identity and they pressed in and they were really questioning his authority. And so we see in verses 24 and 25, as we read, it says that now they would, had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? See, further we see the, the, the preparing work of John that points to Christ. But here is a critical piece. Because John declared, what John was doing in his ministry was to declare that the people of Israel needed to get ready. And with that, he called them to repent of their sins and really submit to a ritual of cleansing, which was baptism. Now, it's important to understand that the ritual of baptism here had, it was a type of baptism that had risen among the Jews during this period, but it was limited to Gentiles. It was not administered to Jews. It was only to non-Jews who were converting to Judaism because Gentiles were considered unclean and therefore they needed to go through a purification rite in order to be welcomed and really received into the community of Israel. But see, John the Baptist, of course, directed his call for repentance, not to the Gentiles, but to the Jews. And this is something that was highly offensive to the Jewish leaders. And so really he was saying to Israel that the Messiah is about to arrive, but you're not ready for him. You, the people of Israel are unclean. And so he called the Jews to really submit to a ritual of cleansing that before now had only been administered to Gentiles that were converting to Judaism. And so also what's important to understand in this is that in these baptisms, the typical procedure was for the the convert to baptize himself because a, a Levite or a priest would not be performing this ritual because they didn't want to touch the one who was at that point unclean. But John was actually baptizing people. 
And so these irregularities came to the attention of the religious leaders and the authorities in Jerusalem. And you can imagine how upset they were uh, of how odd this felt and how disjointed this felt. It was something that was highly uh, offensive to them and incredibly unorthodox. And so you, you can almost imagine this conversation that comes up where they're, they're going, who does this guy think that he is? Who does he think that he is that he can ask us, the children of Abraham, to do such a thing that he's calling us to undergo this kind of cleansing rite that we're unclean? And so see, we, we know that they, they ask John, or more so they question him, why are you baptizing? Why are you doing this? If you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, why are you doing these things? And see, John responds in in verses 26 and 27 by really pointing them again towards the one he's testifying about so that Jesus can get the glory. See, John answers them and says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. See, John explained to the religious leaders that he was not the focus of his work, but the one who was already among them, whom they did not know. And so John's work was to prepare the way for Jesus. And here John could have easily answered and said, listen, I'm the one that's supposed to prepare the way. I'm, I'm this guy, I'm the one whom God sent and I'm the one that's spoken of in this prophecy. I'm this guy. And he could have resolved on making it about him, but John isn't about elevating himself in this way. That he's pointing them even now towards Jesus and he's saying, don't you get it? I'm baptizing in this way, but one is coming who you don't even know. And he's the most important one. There's no one more important than him. And so look again at verse 27, how John identifies himself up against Jesus. He says, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. See, we we may not, think twice about untying someone's sandal today. But when John said this, it it carried significant meaning. See, to untie the strap of a sandal or really to undo and take off the sandals before foot washing was the lowest position that a slave could have in a house. And one of the things that was considered in fact too low for a rabbi to expect of his own disciples was to untie his sandals, to undo the straps of his sandals. And so John is saying, listen, I'm unworthy to even do this. And so this was profound for him to say this. Because again, a disciple of a rabbi, such as Jesus's disciples, would not only attend the lectures of the rabbi and learn the lessons that he taught, but that disciple would take on the role of that rabbi's servant. He would be that rabbi's servant. And the disciple actually functioned as the personal slave of that rabbi. He took care of all of his needs. But see, the one thing that differentiated a disciple in a rabbinical school from an actual slave was that the disciple was never required to take care of the shoes or the sandals of his teacher. 
So there was a slave that could be reduced to that kind of humiliating task, but not a disciple. And so when John is saying, listen, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He was really saying, don't look at me. Don't even let me get in the picture here. I'm lower than a disciple. I'm even lower than a slave. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes, to take off his sandals, to clean his feet. Don't look to me, look to him. This was completely the focus of John. This is the incredible thing that we learn from the life of John that his life and his ministry was focused completely on being a witness and testifying about who Jesus is. And so in other words, it was John's greatest calling to really prepare the way for Jesus and then just step back and have Jesus get all the glory and all of the fame. That his witness was not about him but about the one he testified about because he alone, Jesus alone gets the glory. And so as we come to a close, I want for us to look at ourselves rightly in this moment. That we would look at ourselves and really consider in our lives, who gets the glory? Who gets the the focus and who gets the fame Is it you or is it your savior? Do you live your life based on who you are in Christ or is it based on who you say that you are? Which means probably that then if that's true, then you probably testify about yourself. And so really I wanna challenge you to really look at the life of John, see what we learn from him And really ask yourself, do I witness about myself or about my savior? Do I witness about myself or about my savior? Let's pray.